we have been working through Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And as I say each week, what do you leave in and what do you leave out? There's going to be a lot that's left out today. We're going to hop, skip, and jump as we travel through. But as we get into this today, one of the things that's very important, we're going to go through the first nine verses. And one of the things that's very important is to always understand the context in which something was written, what would be the understanding of those who are reading this. And so we're going to look at that today. And then in two weeks, we're going to come back. We're going to look at this and we're going to apply it to our context and how this will apply to our lives. But we have to understand how they would understand that. So as we've been saying each week, the year is 62 AD, and there on the map at the top and the, the left you have Rome, and uh, as, as we've said each week, Paul the Apostle is in prison in Rome. He's been a prisoner for the gospel for the past four plus years. Now the first two years he was in a dungeon, the second two years he's been able to rent a home here in, uh, in, in, in a house arrest type situation. Now the reason for that is if you go over to the middle of the screen and you come down, you see Macedonia, there's this town of Philippi. Now it was 11 years earlier, Paul the Apostle goes to Philippi, he begins to teach, he begins to preach, people become believers, the church is established, and uh, then Paul leaves and he goes on to continue his missionary journey as that church continues to grow. Well, as that church continues to grow, they continue to support Paul financially, his ministry, but they lose touch with him for several years. They find out that he's in Rome, so they're able to send a financial gift to take care of his need as he's there, which is why he's not currently in a dungeon. He's in a rented facility. So this church has sent a financial gift to Paul, and Paul begins to write back a thank you letter. In that thank you letter, he's writing back some other things that we're going to look at, but it it begins as a thank you letter. Some things that we have to understand as we unpack chapter 4. There on your outline, in chapter 1 of this this, uh, letter that Paul writes, Paul says, I'm in chains for Christ. There on your outline. Now that's important because although he's been a prisoner for four years, he's been wearing chains for four years. Would you think that's pretty uncomfortable? That's just not really a a great way to live. So he's in chains at this point. The first two years he was actually chained probably to a wall, but here he's in a house, house arrest situation. He's writing to the Philippians and Paul says this there in your outline, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. And you want to underline that word suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul says you're suffering now the same conflict that you saw in me. When Paul was there, what they saw in him is that he was arrested. He was beaten with rods, which would leave his uh, skin permanently disfigured. And that'll be important in a moment. And then he was thrown into prison. So Paul says, now you're experiencing that. And so God's allowing you to to suffer for, for his sake. So in order to understand this today, I want you to write this down, that Paul is writing from prison to a church that is suffering persecution. And so we got to keep that context in everything that that we read today. Chapter 4, verse 1 should begin with the word therefore. How many of your Bibles begin with the word therefore? Or at least it's in the first couple of words there. So therefore, now the reason it's therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, you always want to ask, what is it therefore? Therefore means based upon what I just said. You never begin a conversation by saying therefore, because it's a conclusion. 
Paul's saying, based upon what I just said, here's what you need to know. So if you go to chapter 3, verse 20, we're going to find out what Paul has just said. Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which, we also, from which also we eagerly, and then I want you to underline, await or wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Jesus. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, that he has even to subject all things to himself. Again, that's a mouthful. Um, Paul's saying, your body's been getting beat up. I know about that because it happened to me when I was there. But just know you're about to get a new body when you go to heaven is the idea. So he says in verse 21, he says, he says uh, verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, whom we also eagerly wait for a savior. So when you see the word therefore, based upon that, Paul's now going to go into chapter four. There in your outline I have, therefore, we're going to find in difficulty, they're in persecution, we are because we are citizens of heaven and expecting Jesus to come back, we are too. And then he goes into chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. If I miss it, you want to you underline every time Paul says, in the Lord or in Christ, because everything that he's talking about today is, is going to be in the Lord in Christ, we cannot do this on our own. Keep in mind that this is a church that's undergoing persecution. So he says, stand firm in the Lord. This is a military term. So if you were a Roman soldier and you're being attacked, they would give the order to stand firm, which means you do not give up your place. So as they come at you, you don't back up, you don't give that up in any way. You're going to stand firm. I, I love that word because you can actually translate it a couple of different ways. But there in your outline, the word stand firm, from the original language, stiko, means to be stationary or to persevere. Persevere. I actually like that. To persevere. As citizens of heaven, going through difficulty, Paul tells us that we are to persevere in the Lord. You want to write that down. Persevere or stand firm in the Lord. And so he realizes what they're facing. And so he says, we need to stand firm in the Lord. Now, the thing is, sometimes when there's tension or there's difficulty, we tend to become a little bit short with the people around us, sometimes the, the people that we love, especially if there's time of uh, tension. When a um, little self-disclosure about our family is that uh, on, on Sunday morning, Cheryl and I never talk about any issues whatsoever on Sunday morning. I've got the sermon, we've got the kids, we've got to get the door, we've got all these things going on. So we never bring up anything sensitive whatsoever. That's the rule. Now, you want to know why we have that rule? Early on when we started the church, Cheryl brought up something as I was under pressure and I snapped back. I know you find that hard to believe, but I snapped back. And, and so I come to church and uh, I have to stand up in front of the congregation and tell you about Jesus and the love of God. And I sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like God's going, you say one word in my name before you get this right, I will kill you in front of this congregation. <laughs> it's probably a paraphrase, but that's what I felt, okay? So I had to stop the whole service and, and just say, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I had to look over at Sharon and say, honey, I, I'm so sorry. I was rude to you this morning. I snapped at you. 
I love you. Will you forgive me? And she said, yes. And then I went, it was, it was an awkward church moment. It was an awkward church. So we don't bring up anything before church on Sunday because it's a time of tension. After church, fair game. But before church, anything goes. So the, the idea is that when, when we're under times of tension, you know, we, we tend to react. You know, we, we tend to snap. Well, this is a church that's under some great tension. There, there's persecution. So, so Paul has to say in verse 2, I urge Yodia uh, and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And I've underlined that. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And you might want to underline that whose names are in the, the book of life. So here's two women uh, they love the Lord, they love Paul, they've shared in the gospel, Paul speaks warmly of them, but they are now having this falling out in between them. Apparently it's, uh, it's not something theological because Paul doesn't feel like he needs to correct this, say, well, this is really how we hold this and here's why. None of that. He's just, you know, you two women, you just need to get along. Now it's also uh, interesting that we don't know the issue that they're having. We don't know the issue because, first of all, I would suggest because if we knew the issue, we would debate the issue. And, and the point is that they're having an issue and they need to get over it because what we are trying to accomplish is something so much greater than their petty little issue that's between them. Also, uh, it's important to know that Paul doesn't say who's right or who's wrong. For him, that's not the question. The, the, the issue for Paul is that you need to let it go, you need to come back together in the Lord, and we need to move forward. We're, we're doing something great here, and you can't allow these petty little issues to come between you. I think it's also important to recognize that whatever the issue is between them, one is probably right and one is probably wrong. But you don't go far with the Lord before you realize that you can be technically right and spiritually wrong. You can be right, but the way that you handle it can be spiritually wrong, and you're both wrong. And so here, it could be they're both spiritually wrong, uh, it could be that one's technically right, we don't know, but, but uh, they're more concerned about their position on whatever issue it is than what it is that the Lord wants to accomplish. Also interesting, we tend to read this and we, it doesn't really hit us, but uh, Paul knows that this letter is going to be written to the whole church. I mean, it's going to be read to the whole church. So um, We've taken several weeks to go through this. If they would have started reading 10 minutes ago, they don't know what's in the letter. They just have a letter from Paul. They're going to read it. So whoever it is comes, letter from Paul, we're going to read it. And so everybody's there. These two women would be in church. One would be on this side. One would probably be on this side over here. And, and uh, all of a sudden their names are, are, are read out loud. You think that'd be an awkward moment? Yeah. So, so their names are read out loud. And so Paul says, you know, you, you, you need to get along in the Lord. There's something more important than your little squabble. So I'm asking Clement and this true companion. We don't know who the true companion is. We, you know, we think we might know who Clement is, which is a very common name in those days. But people need to step in and you've you got to put this thing aside. Now, Paul, we're in chapter 4, but Paul's been kind of warming up to this. So in chapter 2, Paul said this there in your outline, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. So apparently they're not doing that at this point. So Paul's going to drive that point home here. So here's, the, here's what Paul's saying. 
because we're citizens in he- of heaven, and uh, we know that there's difficulty, but Jesus is coming back. Because of that, we need, and you want to write this down, to put the interest of others first in the Lord. Uh, these two ladies are not willing to put the interest of the other first. They want to be right in their position. And apparently it's polarizing the church. little verse there on your outline. Um, at Calvary, we're really big on what's called biblical counseling. And at a church that I um, used to pastor at, there was one of the guys on staff who did marriage counseling. And uh, you know, so the couple comes in, they're part of the church, and they're just going at it, you know, just squabbling back and forth. And uh, they'd come in, fighting over this, that, and the other thing. And the pastor would sit down and say, so you guys are believers? Oh, yes, yes, yes. You love the Lord? Yes, love Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. And go on, kind of build them up. And he says, so there's this verse, and I want to show it to you. And uh, he would use this verse there from Luke's gospel there in your outline. He'd say, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, you want to underline that, and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then the pastor would say something like, so you're a follower of Jesus and you're both believers, so there's only really one reason that we're here today if you both say that you're followers of Jesus. One of you or both of you wants the other person to deny themselves, but you don't want to deny yourself. Which of you two does not want to deny themselves and follow Jesus? It was always a very awkward thing. And the good thing is he only did one session, and it usually was enough. For, uh, that was really funny in the last service, I think. <laughs> Some of you were, was that convicting or what? <laughs> so so the, the thing is, many times what happens is in our squabbles, it's that one wants the other to deny themselves. And certainly we'd all get along if the other person would just deny themselves. These two women want the other person to deny themselves. They want to be justified in their position. And so Paul is coming against that. The real issue is they need to put the other person first. Verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord. Again, this is something you can only do in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, as a citizen of heaven in difficulty, as we're waiting for Jesus to come back, we need to, you want to write this down, understand that although I can't always rejoice in my circumstances, but I can always rejoice in the Lord. I think it'd be very hard for Paul to rejoice in being a prisoner or going through persecution or being beaten, but he learned to rejoice in the Lord. The word rejoice there on your, on your outline, rejoice and joy are related to each other. Rejoice, Cairo, means to be cheerful, calm, happy, well off. And the word joy comes from that word, and it just means cheerful to be calm or to delight. And joy is very different, or rejoicing is very different than, say, happiness. Happiness, as we said before, is based upon happenings. And many times people who are, even those who have professed to be Christians, are happy as long as their happenings are all in accordance with what they want them to be. Uh, But when those happenings aren't making them happy, there's no joy. Joy is something that you can have in the midst of difficulty because your joy comes from the Lord, not from happenings. There on your outline, uh, rejoice in the Lord means to make the Lord my joy. 
I didn't put it on your outline, kind of an afterthought, but in Nehemiah 8 it says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you walk with the Lord for any length of time, God's going to bring you to a place where the joy that you will have will have to be in the Lord. He's going to allow the situations and circumstances in your life to be arranged where you might not be happy, but you can have joy. Joy is not something that you can explain. There's not, it's something that you have to experience. And God allows uh, his people to experience that. And uh, again, this is a church that's going through persecution. So to a church that's going through persecution, he says in verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. I put that verse on your outline. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. I like the word forbearing just a little bit more. I won't try to uh, pronounce that Greek word. But that, that word forbearing, you can see on your outline, is translated as gentleness, reasonableness, forbearing. There's a number of different ways and they, they all work. But the word there for forbearing, there on your outline, uh, again, I won't try to pronounce it, but was often used as an attitude of kindness where the normal or expected response was retaliation. So underline the word retaliation. So this is, uh, they're under persecution. People are harming them. Somebody harms you, you know, your first response is you want to retaliate. That's the, the normal expected response. But, but they're not doing that. But then uh, to this church that's under persecution, he says, let your forbearing spirit be, be known to all men. And we talked about that word a couple of weeks ago. Gnosko means to know by interaction or experience. And I've underlined that word, experience. The, the context here is a church that is undergoing persecution. So to this church that's undergoing persecution as citizens of heaven waiting for Jesus to come back, we are to allow persecutors specifically, to experience our gentle spirit of non-retaliation. This is a church that's going through persecution for their love of Jesus. Now let me say, they are being persecuted for their love of Jesus. There's a gentle spirit in response to that. This is not talking about somebody crawling through your window at three o'clock in the morning to harm your family. That's a whole different response. If you want to know that response, see me after the service. I'll explain it to you. This is persecution that we're talking about. So keep that, keep that in mind. So as they were being persecuted for the Lord, and certainly Paul had modeled that, there was not this sense of retaliation. Well, uh, then it says the Lord is near. There, uh, that, that word refers to we're expecting Jesus to come back. And we, we were told that back in chapter 3, verse 20. The next part would be chapter uh, verses 6 and 7. R- write it down and then I'll read it. We're going to be told to not worry about anything, but pray about everything. Verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Some of your Bibles will say with petition. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Again, this isn't something that we can manufacture. So we we need to remember the context here that this is a church that is going through persecution. They are experiencing the same things that they saw in Paul. 
So here this word, there on your outline, I put verse 6. It says, be anxious for nothing. And that word for anxious there, uh, I won't try to pronounce it, merimneo is is the closest approximation. For nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And I love the word thanksgiving in the Greek is eucharistia, from where we get our English word eucharist. Yeah, and that's where that comes from. So thanksgiving, eucharist, thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Now, this church is a church that's undergoing persecution. So here, the word anxious is, is a unique word because it can refer to any undue um, uh, concern about situations, but it's typically the word that's attached to an anxiety that's related to persecution. So in Matthew's gospel, there on your outline, it says, Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious, and there's that same word, how you are to speak or what you are to say, or what you're to say, for what you say are to say will be given to you in that hour. So it's a word that can apply to all anxiety, but specifically it's used when that anxiety is related to persecution. So you're a believer and you realize that being arrested might be right around the corner, taking your house, uh, losing your business, losing your job might be right around the corner, that anxiety that comes with that. So instead of being anxious about that, we're to, to pray, pray. And then he uses words, prayer, petition, or supplication, and request. And uh, growing up as a kid, I'd read that and I'd go, it sounds like you're all saying the same thing. How are those words different? So very quickly, let me just point out how they're different. The word prayer there just as the general word for making requests known to the Lord, it carries the idea of adoration, devotion, worship, any communication with God. So you're driving down the road, you're in conversation with the Lord as you're driving, that would be that word prayer. Uh, you're praising God, singing worship songs, whatever, that, that, that would be that. So that, any, any communication. Supplication is an actual request. It's a petition to God. But it's a petition that is always to God. It wouldn't be something that you'd ask of somebody else. There in your outline, uh, it means asking, entreaty, supplication in the New Testament is always addressed to God. And then the word request is just something that's been asked for. That can be secular or spiritual either way. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to come back to these passages and talk about how they apply to our lives, but I wanted to put them into the context of how they would read them uh, before we jump to how we typically read them. So what I really wanted to talk about today uh, was, is verse 7. And in verse 7, you notice he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I've underlined, in Christ Jesus. What I notice about that verse is that Jesus doesn't say, um, you know, be anxious about nothing and everything by prayer, petition, with supplication, let your request be made, made known to God. And the God of peace will, you know, uh, he'll answer all of your prayers. It doesn't say that. It says that he will give you a peace that is beyond comprehension. So here's what we get from that. Then, Then we'll unpack it. Sometimes the answer isn't deliverance from the circumstance. It's peace in the circumstance. So, so here's how this works. The reason we began by looking at the context early on, Paul is in prison. Paul has been in prison 
for more than four years at this point, probably closer to four and a half years as this is written. Do you think at any point in that time of being in prison, being in chains uh, as a prisoner of Rome, that he prayed, God, make this end, deliver me from this? I bet he did. I bet he did. For Paul, as you read the narrative, we're going to find that ultimately Paul is going to die being executed as a prisoner in Rome. For Paul, the answer will not be deliverance from the circumstance. It will be peace in the circumstance. Paul is writing to the Philippian church. They're undergoing the same persecution that Paul faced, arrest, beaten with rods, thrown into prison. As I read church history, the persecution that they are facing will not end for another 300 years. No one in that church will experience deliverance from the circumstance. For them it will be peace in the circumstance. Does that make sense? And I love Bible promises. I have these stacks of Bible promises and I go through them every day. One of my favorites comes from Mark 11. It says, have faith in God. For truly I say to you, uh, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that whatever he says, uh, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they shall be granted you. Well, if this says this, but Paul says, but right now in your circumstance, it's going to be peace in the circumstance, not deliverance from, how do you reconcile the two? Well, apparently there's something very specific that God is allowing the Philippians and Paul to go through. When you read the story of Paul throughout the book of Acts, Paul is told many times that you will endure a great deal of suffering for my sake. Paul already knows, God told him. In chapter 1, Paul tells the Philippians that God has not only called you to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So sometimes, sometimes, the answer is not deliverance from, but it's peace in the circumstance. And so that's very important, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Did you, did you at least find that interesting? Good. So verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is that the peace of God can't be understood or explained. And you want to write that down. It has to be experienced. It has to be experienced. And so as you draw close to the Lord in that time of difficulty, if the answer isn't deliverance from, then it's certainly going to be peace in. There in your outline, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he promises with his peace, he's going to supernaturally guard my emotions, that's the heart, and our thoughts. I love that word guard, by the way, because um, it's a military term also, and it means to guard, to protect by a military guard, either in order to prevent hostile invasion, I've underlined hostile invasion, or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. 
I love that it means to guard from hostile invasion. When I'm going through that time of difficulty, for me, I I realize that I need to be in prayer and experience God's uh, peace. Because if I don't, I'm bombarded with what can only be described as a hostile invasion in my emotions and in my thoughts. Am I the only one that's been through that? And those invaders are very, very strong. And so I find that as I draw near to the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, that he gives me that peace and it guards me. But it's something that I have to keep doing. Verse, verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And I'm suggesting that you can only do that in this time of persecution if you're experiencing the God, God's peace. Verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. What have they learned and seen? Rejoicing in the Lord. He said that so many times in this chapter. Uh, drawing near to the Lord, just praying. Uh, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The idea is that God is always with us. Jesus says, I never leave you nor forsake you. But if you want to experience him as the God of peace, then there's going to be that rejoicing in the Lord, that standing firm, that praying, that the, the, the letting God's peace permeate your mind. And so with that, uh, that's the context that they understood that. And in the next two weeks, I want to come back and then apply it to our context. Did you find that at least interesting today? Good, good, good. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for, uh, once again, uh, reminding us that it's your peace and it's going to be beyond comprehension. There's no way to explain it. We have to experience it. And Lord, realizing that every one of us at some point are going to face a situation where all we can do is rejoice in you and pray and ask you to give us your peace and that peace guard our hearts and our minds as we go through a circumstance that you've called us to. Father, I thank you for this congregation I thank you for the love of you, the love of your word, and just the things of God. I pray, God, that you keep us all till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.